What's up everybody and welcome to B2B Made Simple. If you're passionate about marketing, you're in the right place. Whether you're doing marketing for a brand new startup or a $100 million enterprise, you'll learn strategies that'll help you build a solid team, impact your pipeline, and look like an absolute rock star to upper management. Why? Because these guys are the pros. They're not pretending to know the industry, they're in the trenches on a daily basis. My name is Sam Moss. I'm the co-founder of One Click Agency. We build websites for B2B companies, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. If your goal is to become the marketer everyone else looks up to, keep listening. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the B2B Made Simple podcast. Joining me today, my special guest is Helen Coyne, the Director of Marketing and Customer Success at Woodpecker. Helen, good to have you here. Thanks so much, Sam. It's great to be here. Yeah. So before we jump into the main event uh, for the podcast today, I'd like to get a little background on you. And to kick that off, um, are you a Pepsi or a Coke person? Oh, very interesting. Neither. It's very (laughs) interesting. We grew up with a lot of soda in the house um, and neither my brother, my sister, nor I are soda drinkers today. So that's a good good thing. That's a good thing. I am sparkling uh, water, which I probably drink far too much of. I don't know how great the carbonation is. Like for, a but. LaCroix or bubbly. What yeah, exactly. It? Like LaCroix, exactly. In Lacro- the worst kind, like key, key lime pie or something is like the flavor that I like the most, which is probably not that much better for you than a Pepsi or a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's probably a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you'll be living longer than, than most people I know, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> what about but, you? I, I throw it back at you. Pepsi or Coke? Um, I am a Coke person, but I really don't drink much soda either. Um, okay. My wife keeps the, the fridge stocked with some bubblies and sparkling waters, uh, which is better. But um, if I do drink a soda, it's like Dr. Pepper, Coke products. Um, I don't mind Pepsi, but that, those are definitely me. Definitely the way I like to go. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's jump into to you. We obviously know you, you're not much of a soda drinker. Cool. Um but Woodpecker, you're a director of marketing uh, and customer success. You kind of have a, a path that not many people take when it comes to the marketing world. Explain for a minute or two what your background is. I'm sure. So for the majority, for the first half of my career, I should more accurately say, I worked in human resources and I worked for a clinical research organization that was affiliated with Harvard University, Harvard Medical School more specifically. And I did that for a good number of years, but I I hadn't been happy um, with that job in a very long time. Uh, In about, I guess it was 2008 in in the recession that um, the Great Recession. We had some layoffs, and you know, if you're laying people off, you don't need people recruiting. So I was, uh, I was, in, I was involved in those layoffs, and I took it as a, 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 a really just started reflecting upon what I wanted to do and really what could I do with like my recruiting skill. And the one thing that you do do with um, with recruiting is you really get to know people, right? You get to know what motivates them. You know, this they, they're changing jobs. It's one of the most stressful things you can do. You know, with lifestyle changes you can make. So to um, handhold them through that and to really, you know, do, do the discovery about why they want to leave, what they're looking for, really gives you um, the ability to 
learn to connect with people, to hear their stories. And then you realize, at least I realized that I really enjoyed that piece of my job. So I started thinking about marketing, but didn't really know where I was going to get into it. Fortunately, at that time, mobile advertising was just becoming a thing. And one of my HR colleagues has working for a startup as a VP of HR. And they were just, you know, they were, they were in hyper growth mode. They needed tons of people. And they needed somebody to do ed editorial review, basically just to review the ads and categorize them. So they ran uh, these are program uh, mobile ads running on publisher sites. So I took that position because it was in growth mode. You know, within six months, I had uh, you know I had one employee. Within a year, I had three employees. Became a manager and really fell in love with advertising and went back and got my master's degree in advertising. Since then, I had a couple of other jobs in ad tech worked a couple of other jobs in uh, full service marketing agencies running teams of programmatic display traffickers and um, social media strategists and most recently that same VP of HR introduced me I wasn't really happy doing the marketing stuff I really always wanted to build a brand but didn't really know how I was going to get that opportunity at this stage in my career mm -hmm. having starting over and she and she was a um, an advisor for a founder a, a small legal tech company and he was looking for somebody to run some social ads and so she introduced me to him and um, I took the I took the position I decided I wasn't going to take money that I wanted to prove myself and that I wanted to be able to have the um, let's say the latitude to make some mistakes mm -hmm. when somebody's paying you for something they the, the, what they expect for an outcome or deliverable is a little bit different, right? Than if you're like donating your time and you're saying, oh, I'll learn and, along the way. And he was open to that because he was a bootstrapped um, startup. That said, he eventually got a little bit more money and I became, and I was one of his first hires. He hired a head of engineering. He, um, he still works there as CEO. And then I became the director of marketing and customer success. So that's my story. That's how I, I ended up where I am today. You know, I think that's pretty inspirational in a way to some people that maybe don't have the marketing background that others do, but they want to get into a director role or maybe even a VP role or CMO down the road, knowing that you don't have to have this plethora of experience, but just be hungry for it and be willing to work for it. Uh, and it, it could fall right into your lap. So that's, that's really cool. I like that. Are you having fun doing marketing now? Oh, it's the, it's the hardest job I've ever had. And it's the, <laughs> the best job that I've ever had. And I would say that's a very good point in the, the, in the thing. And just like marketing, you, you know, what you have to do, I think in order to be successful to making that transition is that not, don't be focused on the short term. If I was focused on the short term, then I would have given him an hourly rate and taken my hourly rate and, and just done that. But I was looking strategically strategically, like, where did I want this to go? I wanted to move into, I wanted to build a brand, move into a marketing role. So, you know, always just like marketing, it's a long road. You always have to be looking further down the road, further down the line. So be willing to make sacrifices in the short term for the good of the long term. Mm -hmm. um, so you getting to be part of a startup segues nicely into what we're going to be talking about today, um, which is the MQL model is really dead in your opinion. Um, and I do tend to agree to a point for sure um, that a lot of companies are on this MQL hamster wheel. Uh, it's a strategy that is really dated. And it just means that all these, these marketers are trying to get as many leads as possible, whether it's an email address, address or a demo request, it, it doesn't matter. And then they're getting measured by how many leads they generate and send to sales, whether they're crappy or not. Um, 
and companies are moving away from that, which is good. And they're, they're moving into a more safe model um, instead of just pumping so much to sales. But in your opinion, what should we be doing different? Because you have had the opportunity to not do that at all because you're working at a startup. You kind of dictated what was going to be happening. So give us some background on that. Uh, and what are you doing now that's working? Um, so even when I was working in programmatic display and social, you know, it was, it was a, a source of contention could be at times that salespeople are selling to clients, promising them they're just going to get them more business instantly. And as somebody running the ads, trying to explain to them that, that that's not really how things work, right? There's only a certain amount of people who are going to be in market at any given moment. People aren't going to buy from people they don't know. Right. So a lot of people, a lot of these um, customers would want to put a lot of money into Google ads. Right. And that there's research, well-documented research from Stanford that will demonstrate that, you know, if you if people don't know who you are and when they're ready to buy and they put, you know, they do a, a high level Google search and you come up and they've never heard of you, they're not going to start investigating you then, you know, you put in, I'm looking for something. So for our company, we're document automation. They put in document automation, four results come up. They haven't heard of two of them. They're not going to start their research with the two companies they've never heard of before, right? They're going to start their research with the companies that they've heard of and that they know. And they and these are decisions that are made super quickly from a neurological perspective, right? The, uh, that they don't even realize that they're doing it. They just know that right away, something feels comfortable and familiar. And there's a little bit of trust maybe that's even been built if you know, the branding has really done its job. Um, so that's really, having had those conversations a lot of many, many times over the years, I knew from the research that had been done and just as being a consumer myself, I don't buy from people that I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that the first thing that we needed to do is get our name out there and we needed to be recognized for something that we aren't the only document automation company out there. So we had to position ourselves a little bit differently. So you don't want to get in, you know, don't want to get into a situation where you're just another commodity and they're all the same. And then you're getting into a, you know, a race to the bottom on price, but what makes you different? And I had to educate the market about that. We were a new company and so I, that's where I decided to focus. And I was very lucky. I have um, our founder. He is, he's younger. He's under 30. And, um, and is, he is an agile developer and is really, mm -hmm. it really just totally lives the whole lean startup. And we have a culture of testing, learning, iteration, experimentation. And she was all on board for it. It's like, sure, that sounds great to me. And he's been a big supporter and it's everything, you know, in fact, because we are a small scrappy startup, I can't get to everything. So I'll be honest with you. My attribution, you know, model is really not that great. And I, but it was something I decided that I wasn't going to make a priority right away. I had so many other things to build. And as long as all of the outcomes were moving up and to the right, we were getting more leads every month. If for leads for us or trials, we have a 14 day free trial. We're mm -hmm. getting more people converting. We're getting more visits to the website, more people asking for demos, more inbound activity. That was the measure for success for us. And that actually turned out to be um, the right measurement for us. 
all of our, all of the things we were doing were working and were driving the right outcomes. Although I could not show him a report that would say my ad on Facebook drove this click that came to the website that went to our blog that ended up on the pricing page and they came in and, and had a trial. Mm -hmm. um, essentially we're doing the same thing here at, at my business. I mean, we're not a SaaS tool by any means, but we want to be in it for the long run when it comes to brand. And every agency, they have this outbound team, they're doing cold outbound, whether it's calling or email or whatever it is, LinkedIn. And we saw that we wanted to do something different and be in it for the long run. And it mm -hmm. sounds like when you and I were talking, you said, I wanted to build a brand. You didn't say I wanted to run a marketing team and get a bunch of leads. You were excited about the long run. And it sounds like your founder is in the same boat. He's patient. He's ready for the growth down the road. Um, so what has that been like? I mean, is this like really exciting to you to be able to build a brand as opposed to collecting a million leads and trying to shove them into a, a sales cadence? Totally. I am so grateful that um, I came up in marketing in a very unconventional way because I didn't have to do mm -hmm. any of that work, right? No so bad I, habits came with it. I had no bad <laughs> Honestly, habits, yeah. right? I had no good habits either. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you, so, but again, I, I, you always knew the power of branding. And so when I, and again, we're such a lean team, I do demos, I'm in pre-sales, I'm in sales, right? So I'm talking to people, um, which is, is awesome opportunity mm -hmm. for a marketer because all I'm doing is talking to customers all day long as well. And you know, your branding's working when, so we are legal document automation, but we're a word add-in. And I was talking to one of the largest legal companies. Um, like a law firms in the country, they have 50 offices around the country. So they're like AMLAW 100. And I was talking to their HR department and the new girl was like charged with like, we need to automate these offer letters. And she says, so she started, she, her dad works for Microsoft. So she was talking to him and she was asking for him for ideas. And he said, there's a great tool called Woodpecker that I've heard of. It's Microsoft Word Add, and you should look at them. And so you can imagine as being a, like a little startup that's a Word Add in to hear that somebody who works at Microsoft knew who we were and knew mm -hmm. enough about us to make a recommendation to his daughter. And this was her first project at her new job. And they are now a customer. So to hear those kind of stories, like, you know, it is much more fulfilling and satisfying to know that like there's a narrative out there that you help shape and craft. And it's much more fulfilling than just, you know, having sales pounding on your door saying, mm -hmm. hey, where's next month's leads or where's last month's leads or why didn't any of these leads convert? Right. Mm -hmm. It's more of a it, it you actually get to build something. Mm -hmm. So let's walk through what you've done when it comes to building that narrative. Um, so what are some things that you did to craft that story and to start getting that brand recognition from buyers? Yeah, well, that, you know, that's a real, so it was, that's a great question. And again, lean startup, I had to do it pretty scrappy. It was, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really have any tools. So I went online, LinkedIn and Twitter, and I started following law Twitter, legal tech Twitter, and started getting myself involved in conversations that the lawyers were having and pe people, legal tech innovators and around, you know, digitizing legal and, you know, nothing is remote. Everything is still a lot at the time, things were still yellow legal pads and pens and dictation and all of the old school um, things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Can you remind me of the 
Yeah. So what are you doing um, right. now? And what did you do to, to build that brand and to get yeah, that? So I, got in, I jumped into those conversations and I would jump into webinars and I would jump into Q and a sessions, even though I didn't feel like I should be there, but just to bring some awareness to the fact that we existed. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing and by, I did, the, by you, does that, does that mean you were on the company page on LinkedIn and Twitter, or was this a personal page or did you have your founder no, do this? Ex- what did it look like? Yeah. So that's an excellent question. So I, I, um, at the time I really didn't know what to do. So I was mm-hmm. doing it as under like woodpecker workers, yeah. woodpeckers page and commenting. And then people were commenting back. That was unusual for a brand to be like jumping into conversations, mm-hmm. but it, it got people's attention. Right. Yeah. So then I started tying my personal, my, you know, my personal brand, I guess, mm-hmm. to the professional brand so that people knew that Helen Coyne and Woodpecker really were the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was a lot of work, but I'm, I'm glad that I did it because especially in law, law is very insular. And, you know, you'd be surprised in general how many sales are driven by word of mouth, but really in particular in, in, particular in law. So mm-hmm. be, becoming part of people's conversations was a, was huge part of our success and again just what did we stand for and in fact it's it's very you know we try to have a little bit of a personality so we presented at the aba tech show just i don't even know when that was i think it was last year now 2020 yeah right Mm -hmm. before it was the last thing i did before March came because it, it, it was in February. And we had to do a pitch, like a two minute pitch. And our cover slide was not another, you know, effing document automation company, right? That, that's, we spelled out effing because that's, there's so many of them and people, why do we need another one? So I had to like, I had a big job to sort of craft our narrative. We were lucky. Our moat is that we work in Word. Most document automation doesn't work in Word. We're agile. They were legacy systems. So that made it a little bit easier to, you know, people had had bad experiences with the legacy, legacy systems. Once I knew what those bad experiences were, I could position us as, you know, somebody who could give them a much better experience. They knew that they had the problems that needed to be solved. They just hadn't had the right tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of spending money on acquiring 10,000 leads a month as a mm-hmm. marketing team, where should we be spending our money instead? So I, I where I'm now that I'm going, I'm going to be spending money is that I realized that you know I've done a pretty good job, but I'm not because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not. I can get certain amount of information in front of them. I can reach the people who are already in market and tell them why our product is different than the other things that they're looking at, or make them aware before they even decide that they're they're going to um, they're going to change vendors. Mm-hmm. But I. We don't do a good, as good of a job as of educating or creating that demand up front, right? So letting people know that um, getting people to really agitate, I think, if they already have the pain point and how, how easy it is to solve it. But that can't come from me. It can't come from a marketing department. It can't come from a vendor. So we are investing in what I think people should be investing in. If you don't have it already in your founder or on your staff is find a thought leader who is credible, who can Mm -hmm. speak the language, who is an influencer in your vertical and hire them, have them be speaking to the audience on your behalf, have them evangelize your product, have them jumping in conversations, have them in the clubhouse rooms, dropping your name, have them, you know, at the, at, at the ABA shows or the bar associations, like these lawyers talk a lot to each other. So you mm-hmm. just, at what we need to find and what I think other brands need to find if they don't already have it is somebody who can be that thought leader, 
in the industry to which you're selling. Mm-hmm. If you had to boil marketing down to the basics, what would those basics be? Because it sounds like you guys are doing them. Um, but is there a way that you can spell them out for us? Um, so for me, the basics in marketing, really the very basic is that you have to make an emotional connection. So people, be, they buy based on emotion mm-hmm. and they justify the purchase based you know, on logic. So as people think they buy based on logic, but they really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for, you know, for us, like investing in um, you know, unique positioning, telling our story visually via video and creative that stands mm-hmm. out and gets attention. So in business and B2B marketing, almost all the creatives look the same, right? It's a creative yeah. with some stock photo with your image up, you know, with your logo here and maybe especially on LinkedIn, oh. especially on LinkedIn, they just all look the same and people stress about, I'm going to change the color of the button. The color of the button mm-hmm. is not your problem. The, the fact <laughs> that that have, could have anybody else's logo on it and look exactly the same. It's just not getting attention. And we talked about this a little bit earlier before this, uh, we jumped on, you know, people like refine labs drift, privy, you know, they're, they're humanizing their marketing. So that's the other thing I think people miss in B2B. B2C marketing gets it right. They make the emotional connection. Nike, Apple, I've even really seen, you know, the, some beverage companies, Budweiser and Guinness have done some really remarkable, like, you know, storytelling ads that really make emotional connections to people. But for some reason, when people get into a B2B world, they forget that the buyers are still people. Mm-hmm. They think they're selling to a business, but behind the business is actually people too, right? Yeah. So um, I think they doing a better job of catching people's attention. So Refine Labs does it again. They are, you know, they, it, it's actual people talking to you, giving you little sound bites, little information, things that are useful to you, things that right away made you smarter. Just listening to that 50 seconds of that, that clip that they just put out on LinkedIn, right? You mm-hmm. can relate to it. It's a human. It's another person. And they're giving to you. They're giving you valuable information that right away, maybe you don't need to buy from Chris today, but he gave you some little information that made you a smarter person today. And when you need, his, you need services like Chris, you are going to think about Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what are some examples that you found of companies that are doing creative well? So you have Refine Labs. Are there any other ones that come to mind that you're like, these guys are paving the way? I don't think so. So I think this is still pretty new. I think a lot of companies, um, B2B marketers are still stuck in the old paradigm. So people are starting to understand. They know it's not working and it's just driving up their customer acquisition costs Mm -hmm. and their sales cycles are being elongated because people are no longer responsive to it. So people are starting to pick it up, but I don't know if anybody's really figured out. I I think they know now the creative has to be attention getting, even if it's, you know, some thought provoking thing, maybe Chris likes to, he likes to play the devil's advocate and take the (laughs) effect. So it's really right. So, but it it sparks conversations and he gets Mm -hmm. attention and like people don't agree with him, but they're engaging and they're still Mm -hmm. having the conversation with him. People don't engage with like a flat display ad or just, you know, a creative that looks like everybody else's. So to answer your question, I don't know off the top of my head of anybody who's like really crushing the creative game at the moment, but I see people trying different things, knowing that we need to do something different with creative. So by creative, you just mean content, right? I mean, content, yeah, actual Mm -hmm. creatives too. So it's, I think, you know, people have been focused on technology for so long, ad tech and martech that Mm -hmm. they've gotten away from 
at the end of the day, before there was even technology, there was still advertising and there was still marketing. There was TV, radio, print ads, out of house, out of home. None of that stuff could be measured, but it was still selling things. And it's because the imagery res resonated, right? It made an emotional connection to the audience. The copywriting was spot on. Those things, people have stopped spending so much time working those angles. And those things are, those are the fundamentals that will never go away. I used to always tell my team, you can market without technology. You cannot um, market without good marketing fundamentals. You can have the best technology in the world. And if you've dropped the ball on your messaging, your positioning, your copywriting, the imagery is not resonating. The best, you can find the right audience through technology. They're not going to respond to those ads. Mm -hmm. um, what are some ways that you've found to make that emotional connection? Because it is really forgotten in the B2B mm -hmm. space. You bring up Refine Labs. I love following their stuff. Is a human in a video enough? Is that what you're referring to when you say emotional connection? Or is there more that you can uh, put your finger on? So, you know, that's always a work in progress and that's an excellent question. So, you know, the, the emotional connection I think is a little bit twofold. So one, the one emotional, first emotional connection you need to make is that you want the person to see themselves, you know, sitting in whatever their pain point is now. And the, you know, through your messaging, through your touch points with them, be able to see themselves on the other side of that smarter, more successful, happier team, more revenue, whatever it is, right? They, that that, that they, they wanna be on the other side of. So you have to be able to get them to like visualize that journey or even want to be there to understand that. Like, I don't wanna work this way or live this way anymore. I wanna be that person, the smarter person, whatever it is, the thinner person, uh, the more successful person. And then the second piece of that is that they have to feel something. So they, you have to motivate them to want, you know, to feel something about what they want to change, but then they have to feel something about your company as well in your brand. You just, again, if we're just another legal document automation company, that doesn't really tell, mm -hmm. that just gets us into a, a game of, well, like, all right, then what's your price? I'm just going to look yeah, at price. everybody's You're price, right. right. Mm -hmm. that, or maybe service but service should be part of the package anyway. So you want, you know, you people need to feel something about your company. They have to feel valued. Even when I get on demos or I even do success calls, I don't really dive right into it. I don't have a slide with an agenda because I want to, I want it to be human. I want to talk to people. Like I, you know, I'm not going to have a slide with an agenda. I don't know what the agenda is yet because you know what, you're going to tell me what the agenda is based on the little conversation we're going to have. What I'm doing discovery. What's your pain point? What kind of documents are you using now? What's the biggest problem you're trying to solve? What kind of resources that you do you have? What's your timeline? Have you tried something before? Why didn't that work? What are you looking for now? So. I think when you come to those conversations with an agenda and you already know what you're going to talk about, you've already not really listening and you've already, you're not already not creating that human connection. Mm -hmm. Right. So everything for me is like, so maybe it's, you know, people say, Oh, that's not scalable. Maybe someday it's not scalable, but right now that's how I do it. And it resonates with people. I have some mm -hmm. lawyers that just want to talk to me every week. We just have a standing weekly call and I don't always have something to talk to them about, but I think it's just, I've made that connection and they enjoy the connection. And so I have some of those people, I talk to them weekly. Yeah. Nothing wrong with, with going with that. Uh, and even if it's not scalable down the road, why not take advantage of it now? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, cool. So let's move on to the final segment of the show. And I don't remember asking you, but if you haven't been a podcast host, you're about to be. 
Um, so okay. we're going to reverse roles and you can ask me a question or two if you have something on your mind. Um, so yeah, anything come to mind that you want to ask me? Yes, actually. So this, uh, this is fun. So as, as you know, the approach that I, I'm thinking about the strategy that I'm working on now, right, mm -hmm. is what, rather than wait for people to come to our website to look at information, right, we're putting that information and pushing it out, you know, um, actively through social channels and doing our education that way. That said, as more people move to moving, you know, distributing their content and their thought leadership things on you know, across social channels, how do you think that's going to impact, you know, web development, websites? How will people be using, you know, webs? Uh, why will people be coming to websites in the future? And will that have any kind of impact on SEO, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. um, so with the, the rise of brand and awareness channels and demand gen in those channels. Um, websites are going to become more lean and more streamlined. So I think you're going to be seeing less of the 200, 300 word, or not word, page website. That this is this massive 250K website, right? Just to get it built. Because people are consuming the content in different places. So you can get away with as a SaaS company with probably five to 10 pages quite honestly. And if not now, then a couple years down the road, because buyers more and more are coming to the web, your website to confirm that you're a legitimate company, that you're the company they want to work with. And then they book a demo right there. A lot of times they're not even discovering you in because of your blog. I mean, yes, blogs are, are not completely dead by any means. And there are some cheaper SaaS tools that that's the, the, the direction you want to go. But especially in the enterprise model, um, they're well aware of what you do, the problems you solve and how you can help them. They're just coming to the website to finalize the deal. Um, I posted about this on LinkedIn the other day where buyers, when they're coming to your website, a lot of times they're 90% of the way converted. They're there and your website's just to push them over the edge. And people were like, well, where do you get that number? I, I made it up. Um, but it hopefully it conveys the point that it's right. changing. Websites aren't what they used to be. And buyers are aware of who you are, how you're going to make their life better. They need to come to your website and be able to book a demo right there and confirm that you're the brand that they do want to work with. Right. Yes. And, what, you know, that's really interesting. And we're already start, starting to see some of that as well. People aren't coming mm -hmm. and you know, and going through 14 pages, the, the pages yeah. that they're coming to are very telling too. So they're, you know, even, and when I look in um, the search terms, they're looking for woodpecker pricing or yeah. woodpecker testimonials. Like they're looking for those things. They're not starting their search, just looking mm -hmm. for woodpecker for, right. What does yeah. woodpecker do? You're not seeing those kind of, uh, you know, queries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the buyer journey is changing. They already have the answers to their 90% of their questions, but they're coming to the website to confirm they're like you said, they're going to look at customer testimonials. They're, they're there to discover the pricing. And if you don't make it easy for them to access what they're looking for within one or two clicks, then you may have just lost your chance. So that's right. why I say websites need to be more streamlined. Uh, honestly, more simple because I go to a lot of SaaS websites, especially knowing exactly what those companies do. And I land on the website and I'm confused all you over. Have no, 
I am dead. I don't serious. mean to laugh, but I know what you mean. I like that's another brand thing that you can, mm-hmm. you know, you could put any logo on most websites and it will still work because you still don't know what they do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it sounds like you guys are are moving the right direction though, which is awesome. Um, cool. So to close us out, uh, why don't you share what Woodpecker actually does? I know we've touched on it a little bit in our conversation, but I'm sure some people are curious about your product. Um, sure. So Woodpecker, again, is it's a word add-in. It's the, uh, for, that makes um, document automation and assembly. It's one of the only ones that works in Word and also works on PC and Mac. So it allows you basically, and that's why our, our audience, the target is lawyers, because they have a very paper-based, you know, that, that's their product, what they deliver to the customer, right? Contract wills, estates, it's, a, it, it's paper. Um, so it allows you to take your frequently used documents, turn them into templates, uh, you can, you, you know, you can populate them using questionnaires, web-based forms uh, up front. You don't even have to open Word. Everything can get populated that way. You can bulk populate. So we limit, eliminate da- um, duplicate data entry based on entry for one template. You can populate multiple templates and um, that's what we do. So basically we, we make life a lot easier for solos and small firm attorneys. Historically, a lot of the products have been geared towards big law firms who, um, because they have the IT resources, this was built to serve the smaller firms and the solo practitioners who don't have IT resources, who have uh, more constrained budgets and they were being underserved. So so entrepreneurs, as we like to say, serving entrepreneurs because that's really Mm -hmm. what solo practitioners are. (laughs) I love it. Um, Helen, thank you so much for joining me on, on B2B Made Simple. Um, it was one my of my pleasure, favorite Sam. topics. I love this. This is, this is good stuff. Um, appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure.